Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. What's going on, y'all? Hope everybody's having an amazing day. I have not recorded an episode in a while. It has been a rough couple weeks. Rough couple weeks. To be honest, I started recording this episode and I, I broke down and couldn't, couldn't finish it. So I'm starting over. It's, it's a pretty heavy episode. But I'm going to talk about a couple things. I want to quick catch up here because I haven't recorded an episode in a while. And then I'm going to get into kind of the shitty parts of having a, you know, a public relationship. And, and then I'm going to get into anxious attachment. You know, Super fun stuff for me to talk about. Not, no, I think it'll be really cathartic for me and, and helpful for you all. Whether you're in a relationship, not in a relationship... Uh, you know some things about attachment styles or you don't know anything about attachment styles. I think it'll be helpful for everybody. So I got COVID and strep at the same time. And that sucked. Oh, that was awful. The brain fog crippled me. Not even going, I ain't been to front. The brain frog, the, the brain frog. I got a brain frog, y'all. Just, just amphibious brain infection. No, I got a had brain fog and it, and it and it fucked me up. I could not think. I couldn't create. I couldn't focus. Couldn't concentrate. And for my career, that's very important, especially when I'm on the brink of a of launching a new business. And I couldn't. It was terrible. I couldn't come up with new ideas. It, filming was just a no go. I had to repost a bunch of videos from months ago because I, I just didn't have any content to post because I didn't. I couldn't even think clearly enough to to come up with an idea. And obviously, there's all. all there's only so many ways you can talk about fat loss. I'm just be real with you. There's only so many ways I can say eat more protein, walk more, lift weights, and average average a caloric range. Like there's only so many ways I can say that. And I'll never get to, I'll never stop. I'll never stop because every time I do it, I get better at it and explain it in a better way. But I was at a loss for content. I was on Google Trends trying to find some current event that was I put out a video that got a lot of backlash because it's just a hot button topic and honestly shouldn't have even shouldn't have even pushed that button because what I was trying to say was not clearly wasn't heard. It wasn't communicated as clearly as I intended. And so a lot of people were offended by that. And people get offended no matter what I do. I know that. I know that I mean I'll never put out content to make hundred percent of people happy, but there are just some issues that I'm just gonna stay away from because it's just there's the lack of lack of understanding and you know the the hypocrisy within that specific topic was pretty rampant. So it was just like when people, when 90% of people are using ad hominem to attack me, like if, if, when you attack my character and not the, the claim or the issue or whatever, that's when I check out. Cause it's like, we can't have a healthy discussion if you're just going to go after my character and make these crazy accusations and call me names and stuff. Like people are ugly, man. I just couldn't anyone deal with it. So I just deleted all the videos, <laughs> deleted them because I didn't. It just wasn't worth it. At the end of the day, it was causing me stress and I just wasn't worth it. So I'm not going to do that again. Plus, people that know me and know who I am and been, been around for a while understand like what I was trying to come across as, which was a concerned parent and nothing else. But anyway, let's, let's get into it. So yeah, new relationship. Well, relatively new, a few months. But I've, you know, I've had pretty shitty experiences with having public relationships, mainly because you guys are nosy as fuck. <laughs> I love you all. I love you all. And that's why I do what I do. 
I put out so much content and so much information for you all to level up. Like I want you all to win no matter what. Like I want you to win whether you work with me, whether you work, work within our program, the Revenge Body program or not. I want you all to win. That's why I put out so much stuff. I try to put out, I, I try to put out like, so much to where my free information is better than most people's paid information. Like that's always my goal. I want to give you so many. Everybody's like, oh, you're giving away the farm. And it's like, that's my business model. I give away the farm for free. So people know that we give value and we're not just asking for money, you know? Like, well, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in providing value before you ask for someone's business. So that's what I do. But I love you all, but you're nosy as hell. Every time I've ever had a relationship, I think because people see me on a daily basis appear on your screen over and over. And I do share parts of my personal life, like my son, you know, I, I have this podcast where I talk openly about my co-parenting relationship. I talk about, you know, some of my relationship struggles and personal things I've been through, my past, my history with infidelity, all that stuff. Like I, I'm open about. And so I think people feel connected. And because of that, connectiveness. They want, they believe that they are privy to details about my personal life. And they can ask me questions in my DMs that they really don't have any business asking. So like, for example, my last breakup I went through, I'm talking like six, seven months later, people were asking me, what happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? And it's just annoying. And I understand that's the crux that I bear when having a growing social media presence and having a public relationship. Like it's, just, it's just what it is, right? And I accept that. But at the same time, I think there's just lines crossed all the time with what people believe they're entitled to know about my personal life. Especially when like we've never met. <laughs> I don't know you. And and I'm a real human. So like when you ask me these questions, it's just like, dude, it's not your business, you know? And that's the last thing I want to talk about. Like, think about it logically. Let's say that, oh, did, you, did, you, did what happened to so and so? Do you think I want to talk to you about that? Like in detail, do you think I want to publicly air out my personal life? I'm not asking you to do that. You know, just there's to me, it's just not very logical to ask somebody about that. So anyway, point being, like, unfortunately, it's it's left this mark on me, and and so, you know, I I didn't post this one immediately, and honestly, I I felt bad for the position it put my partner Haley in because you know in her in her mind it's like, well, but. You know, you posted so and so a lot earlier, and they were wrong for you. <laughs> so, and I get that. So we had to, you know, work through that because it had nothing to do with her, and everything to do with fear and, and annoyance of having a public relationship. Not fear, more so, just like having to deal with it. Really, that's it. You know, that's it. Because I mean, I'm up to two hundred thirty thousand followers on Facebook, hundred eighty thousand or hundred ninety thousand on Instagram, and there's five hundred thousand on TikTok. So, like. It's out there, you know, and and I'm so grateful for that because I didn't have shit three years ago. But I'm so grateful for the growth, and and I'm I'm also grateful for everybody, like all the followers, all the everybody that's stuck with me and supported me, and everybody who watches the content. Don't get me wrong, like I'm I'm grateful every day because I know what it's like to have none of that, no supporters, no comments, no engagement, no support, no business. I know what it's like, and to have what I have now is is remarkable and amazing, and I'm I'm super grateful. It's just that. With that comes some annoyances. And one of those annoyances is people being nosy about my personal life. So that being said, God, what a what a phenomenal relationship. I can't do justice. I can't do justice what this relationship is and what it means to me and what, God, what a just... I, th- those of you who, ha- who have experienced 
a relationship that is in true alignment with everything in your heart and soul and in your values and, and what you want and need. And when you find somebody that's such a breath of fresh air, like it's just, a, it's like the whole relationship is a sigh of relief because you're like, God, you know what? I didn't even know this was, I didn't even know I, I could have this in a relationship. I was convinced that I would have to sacrifice something. I tell her this, I told her this two or three times. I'm like, I was convinced that in order to have the things that I would want, I would have to sacrifice. Like I was, uh, if there's five things I was looking for, I was convinced I'd have to sacrifice two of them and just accept three out of five. She's 10 out of five. She has all the things and more that I never even knew possible. It makes me emotional because I've, I've never really talked about my relationships, any of my relationships on the podcast. God, man, it's, you know, you feel so flawed for so long. You feel so flawed and you feel so like you're defective after a while. And we're going to get attachment styles and how that plays into it. But when you get somebody that, that not only helps you understand that you're good enough, but they invite more of you into the room, warts and all. I thought I knew what that meant, but I didn't. Now I do. So much reciprocal compassion for one another, warts and all, man. It's, it's something. I'm very grateful. Oh, there she is. She just texted me. So let's get into attachment styles. I think this will be helpful for a lot of people. So your boy has a anxious attachment style. And in the past, it was, you know, and I've, I've been on, I've, I've suffered from it to different extents. I think it used to be worse than it is now. I've gravitated more towards secure in some aspects, but I still have a lot of aspects of an anxious attachment style, mainly the anxiety. Just the anxiety and the constant feeling of something is amiss and something, it's, it's like a pre-programmed belief that I am not good enough and what I bring to the table isn't enough for a relationship. I will scare people away with my neediness, quote unquote neediness. I, and these are all just like lies, right? Belief that I will be abandoned. I, must perform. This is a big one. I, there's a subconscious programming that or a script that says I must perform and I must constantly be exceptional in order to maintain love, compassion, and validation from my partner. Like that's those are some of the the scripts that run, you know, especially if left unchecked. What sucks about having an anxious attachment style? So those for those of you who don't know, there's three attachment styles. There's avoidant. Anxious and and secure. Those of you who are secure, congratulations. Okay, must be nice. No, but we get this from a lot of us get it from childhood. A lot of us get it or develop it in other relationships. For me, it has to be childhood because, and maybe teenage years because I, I've I've suffered from it in almost every relationship I've ever had to one extent or another. And it's a, it's just there's so many scripts that that are always like your your mind is a sentry and it's always searching for confirmations of your beliefs. And so if your beliefs are, I'm not good enough and I must be exceptional and I have to constantly, you know, self, self-abandon and please, and, you know, go down the list of things that anxious attachers do, you know, emotionally enmesh myself with my partner. If they're, un, if they're unhappy, it's my responsibility to fix it. If they're unhappy, it must be my fault. If there's a lapse in communication, it must be my fault. 
If there's, you know, if, if something, if things aren't absolutely perfect, then I have to fix it and make them perfect. The mundaneness, quote unquote, of like a healthy relationship can actually provoke anxiety for someone who's used to the tumultuous like ups and downs of being with like an avoidant person. You know, I've historically dated avoidant people who confirm those beliefs that I'm not good enough, which is what a lot of anxious attachers do. And and so it can it can wreak havoc on your nervous system because once you're once things once you like commit and once you you know the stakes are raised and intimacy starts to get involved, that's when all these beliefs start to really kick into overdrive. And so for me, in the early stages of relationship is where these things really start to kick in once I start to fall. And they've reared their head in this relationship, you know, and more so almost because this is the first intimate, honest, open, raw relationship I have ever had. I've, I've moved towards it more and more. But in, the, in, in my history, I always hide parts of myself that I thought were unworthy. Parts of myself I couldn't stand. And we meet people at the same level we meet ourselves, right? And so I, since I couldn't stand those parts of myself, I assumed that other people could not stand parts of those you know, parts of myself. So I would hide those parts and I would act perfect and try to maintain this exceptional facade and we all know like that's not real it's not real life and and life is chaotic at times it's messy it's flawed and so i had no room for myself to be flawed or messy i if i made a mistake and it was known i would try to hide it i would lie and like in my last in, in a lot of relationship not my last relationship but in prior relationships i would i, I lied a lot i was unfaithful i was uh, because it's it, you also seek validation because you don't feel good enough this belief that you're not good enough as you are leads for many people to seek outside validation so i would seek for that outside relationship and that plagued me for a long time and ruined a lot of relationships and i hid i hid it i hid it from the world i hid it from them and you know those of you that know some of my backstory like you know i had a history of infidelity and it, it, this is the root like this is the root of that. And I think so many people go through life and don't understand the root. They don't understand like, why do I keep doing this? And they're like, oh, well, I must have a high sex drive or I must, you know, like I must not be getting this in my relationship and therefore I seek it elsewhere. It's like, no, it always comes back to some kind of unwholeness. Like you're unwhole and you think that something externally is going to fill that void. And the, the mindfuckery of anxious attachment is Sometimes you're seeking something that you can only give yourself, right? And so it's for me, it's always walking that tightrope between having vulnerability and having the, the confidence to bring my needs to my partner in a healthy way and from a place of composure, not from a place of neediness, not from a place of posturing, right? Because I tend to oscillate between the two, like the, especially my history, I would go from extreme neediness and collapsing to posturing, which is, oh, I don't need this. I don't need you. I'm good on my own, which wasn't true. Neither of those is true. The middle or the, the composure piece is, you know, hey, I have, I have this story in my head. I'll, I want to check it out, see if, it's, if there's any truth to it. And I want to see what's going on, on your side of the street. That's, that's a typical conversation that I would have with my, my, with, with my partner, Haley, now, right? It's like, I'm, it sucks. It sucks because I'm, I'm basically admitting that I had a story going on in my head because that's what an anxious attachment does. It, it, you create stories, right? Like let's just say, for example, there's like a lapse in communication. I'm being really vulnerable with y'all. I hope you appreciate this. If there's a lapse in communication, say I haven't heard back in a couple hours, three, four hours, right? Well, automatically, automatically, without like, it's, it's like 
out of my control to an extent, the autopilot script kicks in. I must have done something. She's lost interest. Our relationship is not as fulfilling as it was for her. She's having second thoughts. I must not have... Let me reread my last text, make sure it was worded right. All these, all these thoughts. It's hell. Like it, it, is, it sucks because you're sitting here with anxiety that is so irrational and so not truth-based. You know, and and so it sucks because I keep saying it sucks. It just it, it does. It's it's like you, it, you without self regulation tools, it just runs rampant. And what happens is one of two things: you either stifle it and you shove it down, and then it comes out later sideways, like resent and, and all this stuff that you didn't talk about because you were feeling it and you just decide to ignore it, or it, it leads to trying to control, trying to control the outcome. Since, since our childhood had some kind of tumultuous unpredictability, we seek to control that. It's like, oh, I got to control every outcome. Let me just make sure this is right, this is right. And so you try to do everything you can to maintain this perfect relationship. And in reality, it doesn't exist. It's like the third healthy option. And what I'm learning to do and have done well in this relationship thus far, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still navigating it. And, and I can't say enough for having a partner that understands and gets it. Like that's a huge part of it as well. You know, because you read different schools of thought on this. There's different, there's different schools of thought. There's like the self-sufficiency school of thought where it's like, nope, you got to regulate. You can't bring this to a relationship. You just got to take care of your own needs. Be so independent that this never affects you. And there's the other school of thought that's like, well... A lot of it is having a partner who gets it and can walk through it with you and can hold you in those moments, nourish you. And the paradox is that by getting your needs met, understanding you're not weird, because that's the thing too. Like, there's nothing wrong with me or anyone else who has an anxious attachment or avoidant attachment for that matter. There's nothing wrong with you. It's something that you were programmed to do because of your experiences. And there is healing it in time. But the paradox of having somebody that you can bring these needs to and voice them and be heard and not feel like a fucking maniac, it makes you more self-sufficient and have more confidence later on. And what I'm starting to understand now, I'm reading a great book called Hold Me Tight. And it talks about how having that healthy, consistent source of safety gives you the confidence and the independence to no longer need it, right? Or no longer rely on it as much. Because like for me, the last thing I want in a relationship is to feel like I'm using the other person as a crutch for my, my anxious attachment. That's not what I want to gravitate towards. I want to gravitate towards being able to voice needs when I have them and being able to self-regulate whenever possible and being my own source of power. So I'm going to get into the source of power here in a sec because I think that's a big part of the quote-unquote solution or healing. But for someone who has it, it's it's like... You know, it's a sense of panic sometimes. It's a sense of like your heart beats out of your chest. I never even, I, I never thought I had anxiety. Whenever I answered medical questionnaires and stuff like that, like, no, I don't have anxiety. Within relationship, I have anxiety because of the way that I was, way I was, something happened in my childhood. And again, this isn't to cast any shade at parents or anything because parents all do their very best. Sometimes it comes down to like, I interpreted my needs were, were unmet. And that in, that interpretation can lead to some of this stuff. Like it's not that your needs weren't met; it's just you were interpreted that they weren't met, or something that can happen sometimes, right? And again, I think for me it was more like pre adolescence, teenage years that led to this. But intense, an intense need for validation was what resulted for me. An intense need for other people to tell me that I'm good enough, attractive, 
worthy, desirable, et cetera, right? You know, how do you heal it? How do you get through it? Because that's that's the answer I had, I had sought for fucking months, man. It's like, once I figured out this is what I had and this is what I was dealing with, I was like, oh my God, I got to fix this. This is, this is terrible. Nobody's going to want to be with me if I'm like this, right? That's the thought. Untrue. And I'm very unkind to myself. That's another issue that I, I struggle with is, you know, I'm very self-critical. So God forbid I have this, you know, thing that a ton of people have. <laughs> I had to, I had to fix it. So I, you know, I've done the podcast, the books, the mentorship, like I've done I've therapy and all that's helpful. And I recommend all that to, to, to bring understanding, but there's so many of us with anxious attachment that do all those things and yet are stuck still. There's pretty much three stages of it. First stage is like, you become aware of it. You know, you become aware and you're like, oh shit, okay, I have it. I get and like it's like the first stages of of awareness around like what you're dealing with. And and you're like, you know, you've gone from relationship to relationship, maybe, and you you just you think that you're the problem, you're the issue. You always take the the responsibility for everything. And 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 you're just in this chaotic sort of place where, you know, you have this problem, you don't know how to solve it. Stage two would be okay, I've done some work. I've done some work, or at least I think I've done some work. I'm, I'm more knowledgeable on attachment styles and I'm ready to change and I'm going to you know, do things differently. So what happens in stage two is a lot of us, we do the opposite. There's just pendulum swing. And it's like, oh, well, I know I don't want avoidant people because they did this you know, X, Y, Z and fuck avoidant people. <laughs> and I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to... We get almost like a, a state of feigned overconfidence or feigned independence, really. It's like over-independence because we, do, we just want to do the opposite of what led to failure. So we're like, oh, I'm just going to... I'm hyper-independent. I'm, I'm just going to you know, be I'm single for X amount of time and I'm going to you know, have all these traits I won't tolerate. And there's a level of that that's good. There's a level of that that's good, but it still keeps us stuck because we're not actually doing anything different. Because the rubber hits the road in relationship. Right? Like, don't get me wrong. It's great to be single and work on yourself and become self-sufficient while single. But the rubber meets the road when you're faced with these challenges again, because the challenges typically only arise in intimate relationship. And so that's when they're going to come up. So all the podcasts and the books and the therapy, none of it matters until you start to do things differently in the moment. And so for me... In the past, when this anxiety would just come out of nowhere, I would soothe it with unhealthy behavior, right? Whether it was sexually, whether it was escapism in some other way, I would become addicted to social media. I would, I would you know, I would, whatever means possible, I would escape that feeling of loneliness and anxiety. So, what is something different? Well, sitting with it. That's one thing, sitting with it, feeling it, and letting it move through me. And, that has led to a lot of tears as I realized the heaviness of this burden that I've carried for so long of thinking that, you know, I was, I, I'm just so unworthy that, so, you know, I have to, I have to be validated by someone else. And I have to be like all of my worth, even like with everything I have going, like all the, as an anxious person, you can have all the evidence in the world that you have someone who is into you, who loves you compassionately, who is, would go to the ends of the earth from you. And it still wouldn't be good enough because that self-assuredness only comes from within. So sitting in that sadness, sitting in that loneliness, sitting in it, feeling it, allowing myself to feel it, 
God, it was like a release because, and it continues to be because I'm finally just, just, just facing that tiger. It's like when I'm, when I'm running from it, when I'm, when I'm like, when I'm avoiding it, when I'm escaping it, when I'm starting fights, when I'm doing these things I used to do, it's running from this tiger that's behind me. And the only way through, the only way to overcome it is through it. And so I had to turn around, face that tiger. It's like, okay, sadness. Okay. Aloneness. Okay. Insufficiency. Here I am. I'm going to let you quote unquote kill me so I can be reborn. And that's hard. It it sucks. Lots of lonely cries. (laughs) But at the end of it, I was okay. And I think that's what happens is you realize, okay, I can go through this. I can feel this loneliness. I can feel this anxiety and I'll be okay at the end of it. Tomorrow will be better. And it's not easy. I've, I've not managed it perfectly. And neither will you if you have anxious attachment or your partner. This is beneficial for those of you who have a partner who's, you know, anxious, anxious attacher. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it, it really is because it's so pre-programmed, right? The other thing that has really helped is obviously, again, healthily voicing it and, and talking about it. That, that one was actually harder for me because the fear is like, oh my God, I'm going to be perceived as needy because someone in my past labeled it as needy or someone gave me this story that now I carry with me. And I don't want to bring this to relationship because I'll get shut down or I'll get rejected or whatever. You know, there's all these fears around bringing it up in a relationship, but there's also a healthy way to do it. And I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark. When you come from a place of, I need you to make me okay, that is this collapse that I've referred to. It's, you're collapsing, right? When you come at it from a place of, and my mentors helped me a lot with this, but so I give them a lot of credit, but when you come from a place of, hey, this is my need, you need to fill it, and you're not doing a good job, well, that's posturing, right? Now you're, now you're overdoing it, right? The, the middle ground is like, your needs are valid. They're not weird. It's okay to have needs. And we can also voice them in a really healthy way that gets our needs met within a healthy relationship. And so for me, that always looks something like, hey, I've got these stories going on. I want to check them out with you and see what's going on on your side of the street. That's cool. That usually goes really well, you know, because it's coming from a place of, hey, look, I'm admitting that I've got something going on in my head. I don't trust it. I think it's lies. And I think that if we talk through it, I'll feel better about it and be able to move on and we'll be cool. I mean, you know, that kind of, that kind of conversation is much better than either of the previous two. But emotion makes us gravitate towards one of those two. Emotion can make us, can overcome us. Emotion can, can make us act in ways that aren't functional or aren't integrated. And so that's why it's, I think slowing down is really, really helpful. Slowing down and, and, and not letting the emotion power the discourse while also having the courage to, to bring it up. It took a lot of courage for me to start talking about this stuff to my partner. And uh, fortunately for me, she's been fucking awesome about it. Granted, she's done some, some work on attachment. She understands that she reads. Cool thing about her, man, is every single time, she's got a bunch of cool things about her, but one of the coolest things is anytime I'm like, hey, I'm reading this book on XYZ, she'll go buy the fucking book and read it with me. And then we both talk about it. How fucking cool is that? I have never had that. I don't even ask. She just goes and gets it and reads it because she's so interested in growing with me. Oh, man. 
That's great. But ha- that took a lot of courage for me to start doing that. But I will say a lot of that courage comes from starting this relationship from an honest place. I made a mistake about a month into our relationship. I got terrified of the intimacy that was coming. Because again, this is the most intimate, honest relationship I've ever had. And I got terrified of that. And uh, we broke up. I broke us up because I was so scared. And uh, she, you know, fortunately, we were able to, after a few days, come back together. And, and I owned every bit of it and apologized everything. And obviously, I, some damage was done. And I, I kind of ripped out the rug from under. And, you know, we had to, to work through that. And it was, it was my fault. <laughs> it, was, it was all my fault. But for the first time ever, I, I was, you know, I'm, I said, here I am. There's mistakes that I've made. You already know I'm imperfect now. And I want to clean this up. And I want to, to do this with you. And here we are. And I'm, I'm glad it happened. I'm not glad it happened like that. But I'm glad that the growth happened because we, we grew a lot through that. You know, And obviously, I wish I could go back in time and not do that. But at the same time, I was acting out of that pre-programming. You know? It was like, oh God, there's a potential of me being seen. The imperfect, flawed, you know, the, all the parts I hate, basically. And with that, I fear rejection. I fear that I won't be good enough. And that was it. And I pushed her away because of that. I was like, ah, I can't stand this about me. So I don't think you can stand this about me. Listen to this. And it was so dumb. Like the second I did it, I was like, I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. I've done that enough. No one can beat me up more than I have. But I, I knew immediately. I was like, oh God, that, was a, that wasn't right. You know, that wasn't a good decision. But we're good. We're good. We worked through it. And fortunately, like I said, she's incredible. So as far as anxious attachment goes, what are some tools? Well, I think you have to be your own source of power. I think you have to be your own source of power. That's hard. It's hard when this whole thing makes you feel powerless. You know, like I, I am the most self-assured person in the world until I'm faced with an intimate relationship apparently and then for me to regain and and maintain that self-assuredness i have to be vulnerable i have to do, really feel my emotions and work through the anxiety of like what i'm like cuz again it's like there's concrete evidence all around me that this that like everything is fine but the body and the mind will find ways to to confirm those pre-programmed beliefs so it's about healing those beliefs over time because they're they're deep attachment wounds that come from long ago. So going back and, and giving yourself the love and the parenting that you needed is part of it. Having interests, obviously, and hobbies and things that you enjoy that fill your cup are a big part of it. That's something that I could do a lot better on and I'm working on. Having you know deep, intimate friendships in addition to your relationship. Having, obviously, a career that you, that you are interested in and involved in. Having hobbies. You know, All these things are extremely helpful because then you find enjoyment in things outside of your relationship. And for me, you know, again, I was I was wired to think that I have to pour everything into relationship. And, and that's not true. I pour a great deal. I'm a giver. But having things that I enjoy outside of it only help me pour more and pour in a way that's healthy and not coming from a place of needing validation or trying to give to get. You know, that was one of my worst habits when I was at my worst and most dysfunctional was giving to get. Like, I'm going to give you this. We've made a covert contract. You know, I've gone out of my way to do something and I expect treatment in return from you later. You know, I used to do stuff like that all the time, unknowingly. 
but it's a very covert form of manipulation. And I had to work on that. And being so being aware of these things helps. So we, what we got, be your own source of power. So meditation is huge for me. Meditation helps me with state management. It helps me slow the fuck down so I can actually compartmentalize and think clearly and see the thoughts for what they are, just thoughts, right? They're not reality. Our thought, we have a million thoughts a day. And, you know, they're not reality. They're just thoughts. And so meditation helps me slow down and see them for what they are and, and, and reground myself so I can function healthily. Like I said, having outside activities that you enjoy. So that, that takes putting yourself out there, actually wanting to go and cultivate these things, meeting, you know, going on Eventbrite and finding events near you and going to those. I say that I haven't even done it yet. That was suggested to me. Having, you know, whether it's a physical activity, the gym and all that stuff. For me, the gym only goes so far because I'm only in the gym 45 minutes max. So it's a very small part of my week and I'm injured right now. So I can't even go to the gym. So having, having friends, having family you can talk to, you know, women are much more, much, women are much better about having friends and connections they can make outside of relationship than men are typically. Men struggle with having these outside connections. And then I'm no, I'm no exception to that. I've put so much in my career and, and and my son and and now this relationship, you know, I haven't left very much room for any of that. And so it's something I have to actively be aware of and cultivate. I did a podcast the other day talking about, you know, being open to just just changing your energy and your frequency and being open to new connections. And that really helped me because when I did that, people started approaching me because I was just broadcasting a, a different healthy frequency that said I'm open to it. I give myself permission to have male friends. And so male people males started coming up to me and Introduce themselves, ironically. And then just, again, like I think learning about it, cultivating awareness goes a long way, but you have to be ready for when it hits, right? It's going to hit that anxiety, that, 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 that fear. It's all fear-based. Well, what is the fear? What do I fear? So a lot of times I just ask myself that. I'll ask, well, what do I fear right now? I fear abandonment. Do I fear loss of relationship? Do I fear that I'm not good enough? Do I fear that I've, I've done something wrong? Like, what is my fear? And, then I, and that kind of helps me connect the dots with like what's actually happening. And then reparent that part of me. I haven't, I haven't nailed it. I'm far from it, but I'm getting a lot better at it. And I've moved through a lot of it. And it's not easy. Like they always say, you have to go through the darkness before you get to the light. That's, and this is no different. Like the shadow work and the, the, the work on self when no one's looking, you know, Instagram pop psychology can be very destructive. Let me just say that. Like, because what we do with Instagram psychology is we only look for things that confirm our beliefs. That's, that's part of that stage two. When you get into pop psychology and you start using the terminology, right? You're like, oh, I'm an anxious, I'm an anxious attacher. You know, you start to look for things that confirm your beliefs, and a lot of times that can be destructive because that's not real psychology. It's not real therapy, and they say things a lot of times on there that lead to a very actually narcissistic way to live your life, which is super self-absorbed, super obsessed with healing. You know, like just throwing all these terms around that are only really usable in a clinical setting with a professional, like diagnosing others, diagnosing self. So it just, you got to be careful what you expose yourself to. I don't follow very many of those pages on Instagram because again, a lot of them, I have a business. They want to make sensationalized posts and it's just like any other business. I mean, look, look at my business. I make outlandish posts all the time to get people's attention. Well, those online therapists aren't any different. You know, those coaches, those health, those mental health coaches and shit, they do the same thing. So you have to be very careful what you're exposing yourself to because it can sway your thinking. One of the biggest trends and most destructive I see right now is this narcissism trend. Oh my God. Everyone's a narcissist. It's the most trendy fucking thing to label somebody now. It's like, oh, did someone get upset with you? Narcissist. Oh, did someone disagree with you? 
definitely a sign of narcissism. Oh, did someone not like your opinion? <clears throat> Probably a narcissist. It's it's crazy. It's crazy how far the spectrum has or how far the pendulum has swung with this whole narcissism bullshit. And it's that narcissism isn't the only one. There's other ones. There's like God, like calling people these extreme labels like misogynist or what's another one? Fascist <laughs> or like all these extreme labels that are are really inaccurate because someone did something that you don't like or someone said one thing and now their whole identity is a toxic, like narcissistic personality disorder. It's it's wild, man, because that's a serious disorder. So I just, I see people like, I see a lot of that content, like how to know you're with a narcissist. You know, I see a lot of that, you know, just because like I see it. And, and I see it a lot, but also because we work with a lot of divorcees and they've been brainwashed or they've been swayed to think that their ex is a narcissist. You know, and sometimes your ex is a narcissist. Of course, some people have narcissistic traits. I think that we all have toxic traits to some extent. But to label people these extreme things, all right, I'm getting off on a tangent here. My point is curate your social media as always, as you would do with anything else, whether it's your nutrition, whether it's your mental health, whether it's your exercise, like curate it to be helpful and not confusing. That is very important because if you think about how many times you look at your phone every single day, it can be a source of anxiety. It is for me. I've had to limit my phone time. I put I put app limits on my phone. And I only try to be on Instagram when I'm posting and creating content, maybe respond to a comment here and there. But for the most part, I, don't, I try not to be on social media because it is anxiety-inducing. I get caught up in the metrics. And, and so it's just not healthy for me to be on a lot. So other than that, I'm in a really good place. <laughs> in a really good place. No, honestly, I, I am. I'm so grateful, man. Like, I'm so grateful that I can be sick and disoriented for two weeks and my teams keep the ship running. Like my sales team, my my coaching team, everybody does such a great job. And I, I'm so lucky to have such good people in my corner. And like, if I look at my life right now, I'm like, dude, I've got a great coaching program. I've got another program that's about to launch. I've got a healthy, amazing son. I've got a healthy co-parenting relationship. I live in a beautiful place. And I have this new relationship that's challenging and open and raw and honest and nourishing and everything that I would ever want, you know? It's like when I when I look at everything I have to be grateful for, it's like, damn, what the hell am I stressing about, dude? We all do that though. I just saw a post earlier today that was like talking about how this is the this is actually the happiest and most streamlined time to be alive ever. And yet people are at their unhappiest because what we do is they found in studies that even when you decrease people's problems, their happiness don't de- doesn't decrease proportionately. Meaning that we will find problems. The, the, the inherent, the, the autopilot mode for people is find problems. Find problems. Because we're not programmed to be happy. We're programmed to always be finding something wrong with our existence. And that's, it takes an active effort to think positively. It does. It's an active effort to manage your state and make sure you're in a positive frame of mind and and thinking with abundance because most people don't. Most people will not. Most people refuse and the news and everything else doesn't make it any easier to do that. So you have to do it yourself. You have to make an active effort. State management is something I firmly believe in, whether it's meditation, breath work, Reframing your, reframing your state to be to reflect the life that you want to have, 
I believe in that firmly. I've always believed that. Well, I haven't always believed it. I started practicing that about three and a half years ago when my, my life kind of turned upside down. I said, okay, I'm just going to visualize what I want, the life that I want, and I'm going to move towards that. And I have. I've gradually done that more and more, and you can too. The key is to get outside of yourself and really visualize the life you want and the reality that and how that feels. How does that reality feel to you? And sit in those feelings instead of the, the autopilot feelings of stress, worry, overwhelm. And it'll come to you. I'm thankful for my struggles. I'm thankful for life, the credits and the debits. And I'm thankful for you all. Thanks for listening. Hope this was valuable. And I'll talk to you all soon. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.